one. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again for another very special episode with two very special guests. And I've been looking forward to this one immensely. And that is uh, Mr. Bobby Winterbank. Did I say that right, Bobby? Winterbank? You did say that right. Go yes. start. Well done. <laughs> yes, I probably should have checked that. I did, I did an episode the other day and I thought I should probably check the pronunciation first. Anyway, I'll learn that lesson second time around. Uh, and <laughs> Stefan Lloyd Evans, uh, two of the most aspiring uh, performers as well as personal trainers you'll find in the industry as well. And of course, they are behind the brilliant Fit to Talk podcast, which you'll find on Apple and Spotify. Go follow their Instagram link to it. It's below in the description for clips updates and of course advice on your fitness as well as your food as well so let's take a little moment to introduce the two of them so bobby trained at the lane theater arts and he's made appearances on television with american monster for discovery deceased for itv and the railway children for itv on stage he has appeared on the rock of ages uk tour Carmen at the O2 Arena and Dodger in Oliver at the London Palladium, as well as Benvolio in Romeo and Juliet for the UK tour and Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in Toronto with a potential Broadway revival on the cards. And Stefan trained at the Central School of Speech and Drama from a young age. He has made appearances with the Welsh National Opera, Musical Theatre Wales, BBC and S4C. On TV, he has appeared for BBC Wales and the Royals with E. Your credit with BBC Wales is a title I can't pronounce because I'm not, even though I am Welsh myself, I don't speak it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It translates roughly to something like People of the Valley. It's essentially like EastEnders in Wales. Oh, very nice. Very good. And uh, for theatre, he has worked on the Matilda on the UK tour with the RSC. Comedy about a bank robbery in the West End. Into the Woods at the Minor Chocolate Factory in London. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat UK Tour, as well as HMS Pinafore and Trial by Jury with the Gilbert and Sullivan Opera Company. And if that's not enough, these guys also talk on the podcast everything from acting to market research, market industry, and how fitness needn't be boring. Their words, not mine. And uh, it's a genuine pleasure to have you on, guys. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thank you very much for having us on to the the show. No, no, it's a pleasure. It's all mine. The pleasure's all mine. Thank you for being here, guys. I know you've you know, trying to pin you down because you've been so busy recently and everything with, you know, Bobby, you just finished the job and stuff and you've seen your fitness page and just dropping all that motivation, all that advice. So, so it's good to finally pin you guys down. So uh, we start with an opening question on this show, which is to begin at the beginning, as the great Dylan Thomas once said, uh, where did it all start for you guys? Um, I think because you're involved in fitness as well as acting, but we'll start with the acting. Where did it all start for you guys? Where did it come from? I'll let you go first. Um, For me, I was incredibly fortunate in one sense that my uh, family is quite uh, artsy in that sense, in that Mm -hmm. my my dad is an opera singer. So uh, he was working with Welsh National Opera while I was growing up. And so I was exposed to that growing up. And for me, Mm -hmm. whilst I loved the magic of it, going to watch opera, I was like, they sound great but I don't really care that much. (laughs) Um, That's the honest truth. That's what you wanted on this show, right? Um, And so I remember thinking to myself, how do I do that, but get people really invested in the story, not just the sound of it and how it, how it sort of um, is being sung or made. So, you know, that led to first music theater and then going, okay, when I want to train, I want to train as an actor. Mm. So that's, that's the thing that's important is the story in this. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's it in a nutshell for me. Mm. Uh, for me, I started off as a kid 
um i started off by doing like modeling as a kid and then started getting into adverts and, <laughs> and ended up like auditioning for some films and um i i got really close to getting um a part as the young charlie chaplin in the chaplin film when i was a kid and they mm. back to me and they said look we really like you we would have loved to have cast you but you can't tap dance and we need oh. the other person who was up for it could tap dance um mm. and they were like it's gonna take us too long to teach you so we're sorry but off you go yeah. and i obviously went well, I'm going to go learn to tap dance then. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of where that all began for me. And then, yeah, started, went to Lanes as a kid and then did all kind of, uh, ended up doing Oliver as the do- as Dodger and then mm-hmm. did a few more bits and pieces. But then I, I took a break from performing because uh, I got I got quite ill. Um, so I went up to Leeds, did a music production degree, um, then came back to London got a bit better mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I ended up doing a reality TV show uh, something called Dance X nice. uh, many many years ago now um, just because I thought why not mm. um, and yeah so I ended up doing that uh, didn't I got onto the live shows got kicked out the first week of the live shows and then oh. uh, which was which was a shame but hey ho um yes. Comedy gold now. Comedy gold now. Like, what's <laughs> nice as well is that it was kind of in the pre-YouTube era, so no okay. name is on is online. There's, there's like a couple of clips of it, so I've managed to get away with that. I think, which was uh, quite nice. I've somehow not seen those. Oh, yeah, you and you never will. <laughs> Challenge. You'll, ne- you'll never find the clip of me doing my solo dance. It's not possible. <laughs> So we'd all um, love to see it. It's a shame that they're lost forever now. It's just a bit of a shame. Yeah, lost but, the archives. <laughs> the archives. Is it, is it not like on a VHS tape or anything like that? Because there's technology now where you can sort of extract it and put it on a DVD. I think I've got a DVD of it somewhere. Um, oh, really? It will never see the light of day. Oh, <laughs> you should, you should release it as a fit to talk special or something. It's like, look at that. No, don't suggest <laughs> no. that. Because he'll make me do it. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like genius. Oh, <laughs> That's right. a terrible idea. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Stefan? Any old old videos that of, of yourself, audition tapes, anything that you want to keep I, hidden away? Uh, there's me when I was, because whilst Bobby was, you know, treading the boards in the, the Palladium doing Oliver, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. When he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. When, I was 11. when he was 11. At the same time, I was doing Oliver in my school, uh, which is equally as prestigious. Um and uh, yes, I think that was filmed and it was dreadful. I mean, I'm sure the rest of the people in it were fantastic, but I was poor. Who, who were you playing in it? Oh, Oliver. Oh, you were Oliver? Yes. Oh, right. um, you I, could have been the Oliver to, Oliver to my Dodger. Yes, but I never I never auditioned. It was weird, right? Because because of my dad, I would hear about auditions that were going on in the opera world. So you'd go, okay, well, you can audition to be one of the kids in Tosca now or Magic Flute, whatever it was. But in order to get to an audition for the West End was four or five hours drive away. And realistically at that age, it was like, well, you can audition for these shows here or or for those. And I I think my parents kind of didn't want me to do it. I'm I'm not too sure. They were very supportive, (laughs) very supportive. But at the same time, they weren't seeking it out for me. Mm, Right. So it's only if I asked... And at the same time, like we had this weird thing with my my dad. I never wanted my dad to take me to an audition 
in case they wanted to give me the job because my dad was in that that sort of realm mm. so I'm really mm. you know at the age of seven I'm worried about nepotism <laughs> um, which, is, which really, really isn't the really I should have just rolled with it <laughs> I've got more jobs <laughs> but uh, yeah I really clearly remember that I mean, not that my dad's a celebrity in the opera world, far far from it, you know, but if you're auditioning for the same company that he works for, I kind of mm. didn't want them to know that there was a relation because I wanted to know that if I got the job, it was because I was the person mm. they wanted. Otherwise, I would feel like, you know, imposter syndrome, I suppose. I didn't know if that's what it would be called, but... Yeah. <laughs> At the age of 11, you're like, oh, this is imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes again. <laughs> no just use it to your advantage man because to take opportunities where you can like in whatever the circumstances um so tell me about your um uh, experience of drama school guys so start with you bobby about what was lane this like what did uh, the training sort of give you and what did it take away so i i was at lane's only as a kid um okay I wanted to go there for the three years, but I was too ill to audition for dance school. So okay. I ended up going to do my degree. But the experience I had as Lane's as a kid was incredible. Um, mm. I, I loved it. I kind of, I, I feel very lucky that I got to go to Lane's as a kid because I kind of got the same, I kind of got the same education that the the full students got. But as mm. at the age of like 13, I was mm. learning from the same teachers doing a similar amount of dancing a week with them and yeah I kind of I that's where I learned kind of everything so um yeah my my experience at Lanes was incredible it was I think it was a lot more like old school and harsh back then uh, <laughs> I remember some tap shoes being thrown at me uh, <laughs> seriously yeah yeah but it was like I like I don't know I I like I quite like that old school mentality. Uh, obviously, I don't mm. like getting tap shoes thrown at me, but um, nobody I, likes it at the time. No, but, no, no, no. I feel like it kind of taught me. It taught me a lot about discipline. It taught me a lot about um, uh, about really caring about what I do. Um, so yeah, I think like my experience at Lanes was brilliant. I loved it there. Great, great. What about you, Stefan? At Central? Uh, yeah, I think. This is such an interesting topic, and we talk to our guests about it uh, in the same way, obviously from a slightly different um, angle, but it's a tricky one because obviously I wouldn't be the performer I am today if it wasn't for that experience, that uh, everything I learned there and all the doors that were opened because of it um, are exponent, you know, unquantifiable, really. But at the same time, it's problematic. You know, drama school has changed since then and i mm. think that's a positive thing you know that 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 uh old school mentality that bobby was on about this sort of tradition that drama school was there to break you down and then build you back up that's the saying yeah. we used to say mm. yeah. and really that was part of the experience of what happened there for us you know at central is quite small school years there's 15 people in a year usually mm. on that course and they you know people were broken down and, you know, the people teaching you aren't psychiatrists or psychologists, so mm. they don't know how to build you back up. And the outcome mm. of that is, realistically, trauma for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, I'm not just speaking about central, I'm speaking in general about a whole bunch. Yeah, of, of course, people. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that so much 
a positive experience to come from it and very old school acting teachers mm. in the way that, you know you'd get up and before you'd speak we had an acting teacher who'd be like no you're not ready sit down or be like that was shit they'd just straight up say that was shit sit down like and that was constant you know somebody cried in most classes that was the that was what drama school was yeah but you know criticize it all you want but if the, those 15 people have been insanely successful mm. so you know there's people in leads in hollywood movies from that those 15 like that experience is whilst it had negatives it's hard to argue its level of success did it have casualties and trauma attached to it yes <laughs> it depends what your aim is doesn't it so um the experience is is conflicted it's quite tricky to speak about in a way that has any one simple answer it's sort of everything a formative experience that changed my life and life path i think mm. yeah no i completely agree so i just finished at um, guildford school of acting um you know say um just last year and it's absolutely right you were saying there stefan about how you, you go there to try and become a different version what well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't suppose a different version of yourself i don't want to go that extreme but you my experience was i went there and it took away a lot of insignificant insecurities that I had about, you know, am I getting it right? Is this good enough? Et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's good that now I think it's very supportive. I, we had a very supportive cohort where people would say, okay, if you you didn't get a monologue right, you know, it's okay. You know, you start again, you just have another go at it, which I think is good. Um, and that tough love, I think is, you know, I've experienced it before, but it is helpful, but up to a point before you sort of get to a point where, you know, you're crying in a corner or something <laughs> and, and, you know, just try not to think that, oh God, the world's over. Everything's like, okay, calm down. It's all okay. It's all going to be fine. Um, so in terms of like the training, um, uh, as in drama school, not your fitness stuff, but which we'll get onto in a second, but um, what, what bits of the training did you find the most enjoyable and what bits did you find the least enjoyable, the ones that you, you had to really work out to sort of really get to grips with? I'll have this because yeah. uh, <laughs> I've got nothing to. Add. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not singing to you out, Bobby, or anything. No. Um, I think <laughs> for me, I really struggled through first year of drama school. I arrived at this place, and um, realistically, I was behind in my perception. I think everybody sort of felt like this to an extent. Is what I've learned afterwards. But in my perception, I was way miles behind everybody else, and that, and that was, you know really really tough and then for me uh animal studies is what really changed that going through um our teacher had trained at Lecoq in Paris and uh, approached it from that um internal uh acting method and going to explore from that point of view which we did a bunch of clowning and uh and animal studies and it was when we started doing this that I started to piece together for me how to access versions of myself that were different Whereas prior, all I was thinking about was the opinion of my peers and the people in the room. And I was just self-conscious, but I, did, I couldn't recognize that at the time. But it was just that inner voice being terrified of what they thought. And then this allowed me to access, uh, to begin with, an animal version of myself that didn't care about those things. And it's something that I'm really passionate about now, because I think animal studies is one of those things that gets a bad rap from people as this like joke about drama school <laughs> and, and I teach now at, at drama schools and and it doesn't work for everybody in the same way that no method works for any one person mm -hmm. but 
it can certainly shatter some boundaries for performers who are finding blocks in different ways. And it's mm. quite quite amazing when, when that happens or you see that happen for a student. Uh, so that was definitely my way in and a, a really memorable moment for me. Great stuff. Great stuff. So let's talk about your um, your fitness um, stuff because both of you are certified personal trainers and of course you do that alongside your active stuff. So um, what made you guys want to get involved in the fitness side of things? I'll start with you, Bobby. Uh, so I, <clears throat> I've kind of been doing fitness for all my life, obviously, because I've been a dancer. Um, and I got really injured on a production of Singing in the Rain at Kilworth House. I broke my leg and dislocated my ankle during the show, Ouch. <laughs> which, which was quite a spectacular. Yeah. Event. How did you do How did you do that, by the way? <laughs> um, I, it was literally the last thing in the show. We'd done the bows, we'd done the finale, and we were basically jumping off the stage, which is maybe like a foot Right. high and jumping off the stage and then running off into the undergrowth to leave the stage okay and i jumped and just my foot went from under me and just went <laughs> i sat up and was like oh my foot's pointing the wrong way um <laughs> whipped oh. off my welly and sat back down um ouch yeah, that, yeah. that kind of happened and i went and had surgery and then had um a bunch of physio and like my initial physio was like we'll probably be able to get you to walk with a limp that's probably where we'll get you to and I was a bit like mm. uh I need a little bit more than that um <laughs> just because I want to be dancing um and then I went to some amazing physios at a place called Bounce in Wimbledon and they put my leg back together essentially um and they kind of inspired me and I was like you know what I love, I, I love fitness and I love going to the gym and I love the idea of being able to help people in that sense. So then I, off the back of that, I was like, well, I'm out of action for a year before I can dance again properly. So why don't I go train as a personal trainer? So I went, I went off, did my personal training course, still like hobbling around. I was in a boot for half of it. Um, but yeah, and now that's kind of, where it all began and it's been it's been probably the greatest I, I kind of say this quite a lot like breaking my leg in that show although it being a traumatic incident it's probably one of the best thing that things that's ever happened mm. to me in the long run because it changed so much about my life and about um and about the way I approach performing the way I, my like go-to work outside of performing it, it changed so much that it's um yeah it's been a really kind of pivotal pivotal moment for me mm. Hmm. Stefan? It was really interesting to hear you chat about that, Bobby, because we've obviously spoken about these things mm. previously, but never in relation to one another in this way. Yeah. Like if we've spoken about that event, then we've we've spoken yeah, about we've that spoken event. That, yeah. And sort of, you know, you don't look to compare when you're having those conversations. And actually, in relation to this question, I hadn't realized before that actually our our driving force into this uh realm is actually quite similar mm. um uh, for me as a kid you know I was always quite active uh did judo to a pretty high level when I was younger then went through um you know free running and a, all a whole bunch of different physical pursuits but it was never it, it that was always just fun but then I discovered when I was uh 17 18 that I had something wrong with my heart we didn't really know what that was and then uh, found out 
quite how bad that was rather rather viscerally about a year after that when um, things went south quite quickly and like you said got very ill mm-hmm. um, and it looked pretty bleak for a period of time and then you know in a relatively long recovery process from that in which you know I didn't handle that too well in the same way I didn't immediately find something to to fix that <laughs> um what I did do was you know I had sort of doctors saying to me don't go anywhere by yourself and don't do anything that raises your blood pressure and I was like well that's everything so mm. that doesn't allow me a life and I was like well I can either do what you're telling me to and cease to exist or I can try out a couple of theories and see if they work that are the opposite. And that led me to try and train my heart as a muscle and my body around it to see if I could defy what they believed. Mm -hmm. And not that I'm advocating that people do that. The outcome was positive and I did manage to do that. And so since that point, it's been about about trying to push that boundary, understand more about my body. And then over time, that became, oh, I've actually learned quite a lot about this. Hmm. How can I change this into helping other people get the outcome they want with their bodies and feeling and function in the same way? And so, yeah, eventually when the opportunity arose to do a personal training course, I was like, yeah, I'm going to jump on that and never looked back. I've never found an out of acting job that I loved mm. i use the word loved i've really enjoyed some stuff but i've never thought of it as really connected to me in any way mm-hmm. you know I've, I've found great joy you know we've both done a ton of promo work yeah. in our time yeah, and, yes we have and a bunch of other crazy things the list of jobs is genuinely <laughs> endless there's always a new job that i discover <laughs> you've, done, you've done some weird stuff man <laughs> some weird stuff and very honestly, weird stuff and they're all <laughs> Oh, great and fabulous and then when you find this and you realize that you can do something that affects other people really positively forever it's quite an it's quite a moment i mm. think and then you go oh this is worth my time and effort and it's something that we share it's the reason we created this company i mm. think that we end up going oh, we can make a change in this for people. Our industry doesn't have to be the same way. It doesn't have to be like it is now. Like it can, we can shift it. So yeah. that's a really small goal. <laughs> yeah, no, but big, big meaning though. Big meaning for that. Yeah, it's, um, I'm just curious to know about some of your um, fitness um, success stories. Is there of like particular group or of clients or clients that you guys have had that, you've really you know got a lot out of the training and you you were very proud of what you gave them in a way both with the advice on what to do in the gym as well as like any other advice around food or anything Uh, for me uh I think when I kind of started Bobby's Bakery during the lockdown that's um (laughs) that's that's been a moment for me that's one of the more surreal moments in my life yeah you were famous I, I was weirdly <laughs> insta famous um for a while and it um I just I don't know I I I don't know why it kind of started and I don't know kind of how it became what it was but mm. it's 
I, I still I find it difficult. Lots of people come up to me now, like these days, and are like, "The bakery saved me over lockdown," and mm-hmm. I I find it difficult to kind of know what to say to that because I'm I'm like, it saved me as well. Like it it was that thing of it was a kind of beautiful thing of being able to go for this like half an hour a day. We're all going to come together. We're all going to do something where fitness doesn't have to be boring. This is kind of in my head. I go, this is kind of like the seed of that. I go, it doesn't like people were doing, there were workouts online. There were lots of workouts kind of everywhere. But I think what, Mm. what set that apart was that it didn't have to be this serious thing. It didn't have to be a punishment. It didn't have to be something to be feared. It was just us getting together for half an hour and taking our minds off the horrifying thing that was going on in the world. And let's, Mm chat about croissants and um <laughs> and talk about gregs and all the different gregs that are opening up uh, so Amazing. like to, for me that's kind of one of the one a beautiful moment in my life where mm. kind of personal training and being a, a fitness instructor has um really kind of come through for me and mm. for other people mm. Yeah. Mm. that was such a huge moment it's the first way i heard of you ah um, yeah <laughs> i didn't know that it is yeah um yeah uh, for me it's it's tricky because you get we train all, all kinds of people right? and there's mm. there's such amazing benefit to all of them there's a couple of things i really love like i've had a fair few clients who've been you know really out of shape or that little bit older and when you have those people who let's say the people who are far far heavier than they've ever been before i had one client who her whole family used to mock her when she sat down because she would fall she couldn't you know sit without falling and the day came about that that no longer happened anymore and they stopped laughing at her and that that things like that like clients when you're looking at 50 60 year olds and plus regaining function that they had in their 20s and going i haven't been able to do this for 40 years Mm. that's amazing Mm. but really what's what's relevant to us i think is when when we train performers Mm. and you know you go recently you know a client of mine is now the lead in a west end show and was training with me up to the point they started in order to get themselves prepped for that and now goes yeah my my feed into that show was easy because of the training Mm. we did Mm. like okay, that's, that, that's the point, right? Or people yeah. get jobs because of that training. You go, right, we've been working out so that you can go and do two dance calls back to back and it not phase you. And this was about five months ago. Mm. That client got offered both of those jobs and is now on the Batter of Hell World Tour. And wow. like, amazing. Yeah. And they're there going, well, this is because I could handle two back to back two hour dance calls on that day. You're mm. like, then their successes become things that you're you're involved in and proud of, and you're a tiny, tiny piece in it. But it, mm. I think there's an amazing sense of pride that comes mm. for yeah. for me last one when when you manage something like that. So it's not necessarily a specific group, though. Obviously, we know a lot about life as a performer. Yeah, but I think there's any success, whatever that person's goal is, when you help them achieve it. Mm. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Um, it, I, in one episode um, with our mutual friend, actually, Elliot Harper, who's uh, currently Miss Trunchbull in in, in town at the moment, uh, you think that you guys touched on how when you're trying to reach certain goals, like for some clients that they want to be 
defined or they want to look like Muhammad Ali or something like that, you know, you follow your genetics plays a huge part in the body that you that you want to create in a way. But the sad thing is, if you want to look like Muhammad Ali and do the same thing that he does, but you but you do everything that he does, but you don't end up looking like that. It's because your genetics simply won't allow you to do that in a way. That's not how you're how you're made. So it doesn't matter how much of Muhammad Ali stuff you do, it you, you can't do it because your genetics have other ideas in mind. Is that is that correct? Um, I, I'd go with partially. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. genetics are are your scaffolding. Mm-hmm. Right. And the rest of what you do and how you live is the meat of the building that you exist in. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're looking at somebody like Muhammad Ali, who or it's probably easier as an analogy to use somebody more modern, somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo, for instance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. has spent 30 years spending all his time with the best people teaching him. Uh, football skills and practicing for X amount of time each day with the best training, mm-hmm. then he has his genetic potential. And then he's done everything possible for 30 years to make his body achieve the potential for his goal, which was to be fantastic at football. Now you might have somebody who's got more genetic potential than him, arguably quite a, a lot of people, mm-hmm. mm. but if they come to that at 15, then they're 10 years behind chances of them reaching the same level, slim. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Like, yes, you might, your body won't look like his because your scaffolding is a different shape. Yeah. And your yeah. ability to build muscle is different or your ability, the way your brain fires neurons through and builds muscle patterns, different because we learned in different ways. So kind of, mm-hmm. but, but still, Tom Brady always says that he, um, you know, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Don't don't arguably me. He don't is argue. the greatest greatest. Sport 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 <laughs> he openly says genetically not gifted. Mm. It's not necessarily true because his family all had you know broad shoulders and there's a gift there. But you know, what was he drafted? hundred and he was yeah he was right down like he he never you kind of looked at him in the draft and you thought I this guy's never going anywhere. Yeah, and he was what twenty one by then. Yeah, at that point and through hard work and dedication, even though his genetics didn't necessarily set him up for that level of success, Mm -hmm. effective work has become, without a doubt, some might argue, (laughs) the very best in that field in the entire world. So whilst you go, yes, maybe not, um, maybe the genetics are going to be slightly limiting factors, there's always a huge range of possibility within Mm. your genetic framework. That's what I think about Yeah. I absolutely agree with kind of everything you said there. And I I just, I like to think of it this way. In in the same way that we say to performers, go be your performer, go be you Mm -hmm. as a performer. The same with fitness. It's, there's no point trying to compare yourself necessarily to somebody else because you may not be able to achieve that version because of their one of their genetic makeup and also because of their lived experience of their, the way they've trained for many, many years. You need to just go and be your version of mm-hmm. that so yeah train for you don't train to be anybody else yeah that's, that. that's very good um so <laughs> that's a good that's a good you know it's, it's, yeah i just uh, came out of that on the spot ah! <laughs> <laughs> that, that. there's a there's nothing in that <laughs> perfect it's great uh so yeah, that's a good lead into um something you mentioned stefan about how someone was able to 
keep um their stamina through like the dance calls that you, you just mentioned there one of your clients um so what advice um we've probably touched on this a little bit already but what advice would you give to actors who who love going to the gym so for example if they like doing a lot of cardio they like lifting weights and deadlifts etc they 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 have a workout which uses a lot of energy in them like and they do it first thing in the morning then they go to rehearsal and they might have a lot of a lot to do physically so what advice would you have for anyone uh who's in that position at the moment who's in work and loves to go to the theater and uh, and who's working and wants to make sure they're not burning this, themselves out too early before they get to rehearsal in, in a way guys can i start this off you go for gold um you have as much energy as you put into your body mm -hmm. so if you are going to use more energy in the day you need to consume more energy if you are going to go to the gym before a rehearsal day you damn well better eat enough to fuel that or you're going to flag you know, and when you're in the gym, if you're training appropriately, your muscles aren't going to fatigue to the point where halfway through the day, you can't carry on your rehearsal process. If you are, then you're probably not doing the right thing for you in that time. Mm -hmm. So let's assume that your training is appropriate for your job and you've got the right information mm -hmm. and the right program for you. Then it's quite simple. Then you need to eat to fuel that thing. So, yeah. you know, if then you don't have a problem. Mm -hmm. So, so realistically, I think what you're describing is actually a problem that people uh, deal with quite a lot, but because they don't have the information about how to fuel themselves appropriately for what they're doing. So then mm -hmm. people go, oh, my body can't handle that. So I can't go to the gym before a rehearsal day. And you're like, okay, but you, you probably could if you were doing yeah. the right thing for mm -hmm. the right amount of time for you and fueling yourself properly. That's my thoughts on it. Do you have anything... I totally agree with all of that. I think um, the one thing I would also add is always listen to your body. Like your body is the best yeah. feedback tool yeah. that you have. Um, you'll you'll know if you're managing that balance right, if you're looking after yourself, if you're consuming yeah. the right food, if you're fueling yourself in the right way. So <laughs> listen to your body. That's always going to be your guiding light in terms of what you should be doing. Oh, I thought of an exception. Go. Based on what you just said, which is let's say you go into a physically really demanding show. For instance, like you mentioned, comedy about bank robbery that, that I did once was like that was physically actually a step up on my physical capabilities at the time. Mm -hmm. That means I'm going to be putting my body under considerable stress in a new way during mm -hmm. that rehearsal process. Mm -hmm. That means going and putting the muscles or, or joints under additional stress in the morning is probably not a good idea because re recovery has become more important. Yeah. So that way, food's going to help you recover and refuel, obviously but you actually need to let your muscles recover so what bobby is saying about listening to your body don't just go and hammer at it anyway whereas if you, you dance eight times a week anyway and you're going into a show then you should be able to supplement that in the same way mm -hmm. so it, it's you've got whether it's new stimulus as well as an exception but sorry if that got a bit technical science <laughs> science it's all, science good. <laughs> it's all good man um so awesome so um I'm just curious to know about uh, in one episode you guys have is all about cardio, and I think the title of the episode is called Cardio No No, as a <laughs> as a result. And um, some people say this seems to be like a debate about cardio: is it good for losing weight, or should you not use it at all? Or is if you want to lose weight, don't do cardio? What 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 is the debate about cardio, and what what's the truth in a way? I, I'm going to let you answer this. I'm going to preface this by saying <laughs> cardio has a fantastic amount of benefits. Yeah, 
is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And the, yeah, the benefits are huge from cardio. However, for the purposes <laughs> of weight loss, over to Stefan. <laughs> Jump in. We'll get we'll get real specific. Yeah. Um, current guidelines say 75 minutes to 150 75 minutes of vigorous cardio exercise a week or 150 minutes of light cardio now that can be a pacey walk right mm-hmm. during the week yeah like 75 minutes of a maybe quicker jog whatever suits you really 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 excellent for your health mentally the way your body functions and your fitness with regards to weight loss it is a terrible strategy for weight loss here's why <laughs> he's gearing up he's gearing up for this. <laughs> I'm ready for it. here we go <laughs> our bodies my favorite phrase are physical adaptation machines we are designed to adapt to the stimulus that we give this vessel that we live in now cardio makes our body react in a really specific way but we get better at cardio it makes perfect sense when you hear it like that it's logical which means essentially we become more efficient at it the more we do it it's the same with, mo- with most things. So yeah. let's say you go for a run for half an hour, three times a week. If you're doing that for your mental health and fitness, fantastic. Well done. Job done. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it to lose weight, then you're probably thinking about how many calories you burn during that time period. Great. Within four weeks, you run for 30 minutes, three times a week, and you burn fewer calories doing that than you did four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot fewer. That's how we can adapt to run things like marathons without dying. And that's why if you took somebody who had had never ran and asked them to run a marathon, they'd likely die. Like that's that's the outcome. So very rapidly, the amount of cardio you have to do gets exponentially greater. You spend more time over and over. And that never ends. The cycle never ends. It's why Mo Farah can run a marathon a day. It's why people can run 365 marathons. And again, they're not losing weight. They're not stick thin. And it's not because they're eating 7,000 calories a day, though they might be. Um, it's because they've adapted to burn fewer calories doing that, which is the opposite response that we want, right? We actually want our body to burn more calories and do less. And that's what happens when you do resistance training. We should say that weightlifting is a specific sport. Resistance training is picking stuff up in interesting ways and putting them back down again. (laughs) (laughs) That builds muscle. And the more muscle you have, the more calories you burn by being sat on your butt all day. So if I build up an extra four kilos of muscle on my frame, then I'm going to sit on my ass and watch, hopefully I can say ass, um, (laughs) and, and watch Netflix for an entire day off. And the amount of calories I'm going to burn in that day is significantly increased from where we were at. So if you want long term to sustain a healthy, lovely diet where you can eat what you want, then you need to build a little bit of muscle from where you are and you will burn fat by having that on your frame. Cardio, fantastic. We love it. I'm currently training for a marathon, so I'm very, I'm doing a lot of cardio, but yeah. just don't to lose weight. Terrible plan. There you go. Very long answer. Sorry. No, it's but... Very, very good answer. Very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take it back to um, acting stuff for the time being. Um, I see that the two of you have been on tour uh, with a couple of your uh, productions and stuff. Um, I've had a few people on talking about how um, the 
what one of the challenges about touring is the different locations and you know you're learning essentially where the light switch is and in the latest hotel room and stuff like that and adapting yourself to a new stage like the one you did in one town or one city was bigger the next one is smaller so you have to figure out what to do um what's what's sort of like the challenges of touring and also the the benefits of touring as well that you guys have experienced challenges uh i think do you know what i think everything you've just said is both a benefit and a challenge to touring um what's wonderful about touring and what i've loved about it is seeing different parts of the uk different parts of the world experiencing different audiences getting completely Mm -hmm. different vibes depending on where you are with the same show um a completely different response like it's it's wonderful and it's wonderful to be able to take a show around the country and just kind of deliver it to various parts of the country and it's it's I've loved touring and I would never um I would never want to kind of undo the touring that I've done um it is it is hard it's really mm-hmm. hard um mm-hmm. and kind of the more you do it the more you realize it's difficult to be away from your home difficult to be away from your family um this kind of stress it puts on relationships is incredibly difficult mm-hmm. uh, and just just the schedule like it's it's just a very it's just a different beast and like lots of lots has been spoken about recently about digs and rightly so because digs are a nightmare yeah. um if you you can end up in just some absolutely horrific digs and we've spoken about this before <laughs> like one time i was in digs where there was a person eating a watermelon in a bathroom so it's kind of you was it you? It wasn't. Yeah. Sadly, <laughs> I do love watermelon, but it wasn't me eating the watermelon. Um, but yeah, d- digs are a major kind of yeah. downfall of touring. And uh, but one beautiful thing about touring, which I think, um, it, it, which I really love compared to doing, say, a show in town, is the feeling you have as a company, as a cast. Yeah. It feels it feels completely like a family, because yeah. Again, this is another downfall, but a beautiful thing to it. You mm. are completely in that bubble of being on tour. And it's <laughs> the bubble is a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. Um, <laughs> but it's like the closeness you have after such a short period of time of being on tour with people is like, it's it's wonderful. And I've met some amazing people on tours over the years um, and become incredibly close with them in a very short period of time. And yeah, I wouldn't trade that for... Anything. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'd add to that is that, you know, if you end up in a situation, if you're mm-hmm. in a show in town or near where you live, wherever that might be, then you can go to work and go home. If you end up on a tour and you don't get along with the people that you work with, mm. nightmare. Then yeah. you're going, oh, I'm traveling the country with these people. They're now my family and actually they're not my people. Mm-hmm. You know, seen that happen sometimes and it's yeah. it's a it's a torture you know yeah. because we don't have a way out of contracts as actors no, so if you sign up 20 month job like that's what i did on matilda that was 20 months and you realize within two months that oh you're a pretty much alone in this that's going to be a rough ride for the re- next mm. year and a half of your life yeah um so there's that aspect too. Uh, that wasn't my experience. I was really, really super lucky. And I've, I've been pretty lucky on all my jobs. I think mean, you have too, right? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of experienced kind of the highs and the lows of touring in that, in the sense that you're talking about in that mm. some of the tours I've done, I've had the most amazing time, but there, there has been a tour where I've 
had a horrible time on mm. and I felt very isolated and it's it's the one time I've ever kind of stood on a stage and gone I want to be anywhere else but here. Wow. yeah and that, like to, to experience that and to and to look back on that and go oh that is how I felt at that moment and that's something yeah. I've never felt before was kind of quite eye-opening and I'm glad that's done yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm not doing that right now yeah. do you know what from a as a kid from a really young age so I actually like started touring when I was seven something mm. like that and mm. around the UK to like big theatres you know at Mayflower and all, all, all of those ones mm. and um, that now that is amazing because <laughs> when you go around as a kid obviously you don't have to sort your own digs out yeah, yeah. they sort that yeah. he looks after you the whole time you get to do fun stuff they teach you and they pay for all your food yeah kids on joseph were having the best time it's fantastic <laughs> i'd recommend it <laughs> very good very good um there's, there's a question you asked um again in elliot's episode actually i think um we were talking about there bobby about if you're in a company and you you do find yourself isolated and sometimes you're um i think in this industry in general mental health is such a huge huge thing and how to protect it and um, so I'm sorry to say, I'm just going to steal your question that you asked Elliot and ask, ask you this. Um, how do you protect your mental health? Like in, in tricky times, like if you're on a tour and you don't get along with the company or you're, uh, say seven months into a run of Matilda or something like that. And, you know, you don't get the same joy from the material. If like, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm not saying that was your experience, but if you didn't, if you don't get the same joy and experience of a show, like from the first couple of months that you that you were in it so how how did you how do you protect your mental health in those in the tricky times uh well to jump in on the joy thing i think that is really common it, in fact matilda was one of the one of the ones i can say that genuinely wasn't the case like i actually really really genuinely yeah, yeah sure. the last show of that found something new in that every yeah. time because i gen- i think it's genius but i have experienced that world that you're speaking about and i think something you say often is is that you know everyone's going to have a different version of an answer to this question. But as far as advice goes, therapy is more accessible than ever before now, mm-hmm. especially because of what happened during 2020 with lockdown. Yeah. You know, therapy over Zoom is now commonplace. And mm-hmm. actually we're seeing a lot more performers take advantage of that yeah. and jump into that. However, there is obviously cost associated with that. It's, it yeah. is uh, expensive. expensive. Yeah. And we've spoken a bit about the fact that in shows, your company manager is the person you're meant to go to when you have a problem, Mm -hmm. mental or otherwise. And yet the company manager is also the person that feeds that back to the producers and decides whether you go on or not. Right. So for, for me anyway, there's a clear discrepancy in what's my, if I'm struggling mentally, What's my motivation? What? What's? Why would I go and tell my company manager that? Who is the person who might be able to help, but also who is likely to uh, influence my career negatively because of that in that instance? Yeah. And I actually think there needs to be a little shift uh, in that right. sense. Yeah. That. Those two things need to become separate within a company yeah. um, in order that you have somebody taking care of the cast and somebody managing the company in a different way. Yeah. Um, I'm not always one for splitting jobs up and creating, you know, bureaucratic nonsense, but it just, there's no, uh, you know, if you've hurt yourself, 
in a show. It's the same thing. Mm. You go, oh, I'm struggling a bit. But if you go to the company manager, you know, they might take you off the show. And actually what you wanted was to go to a physio. Mm. And so there need to be different things. Um, but anyway, that doesn't really answer your question. We've got any anything to... No, no, I it's mean, great. It's great. The thing I've always thought is, and I've said this about kind of performing in general, mm-hmm. uh, what I think is huge is having something you care about that isn't performing. Yeah. Having something outside of performing that you truly love, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think too, too often a lot of performers invest their entire heart and soul and everything they've got into performing. And while it is a wonderful career and a wonderful thing to love, and I love it dearly, um, Mm -hmm. I would also say it can't be everything to you. Mm -hmm. You need to have other things in your life that are important. And do you know, and this is one thing that fitness has given me is just an absolute love of fitness a love of being a personal trainer and mm. when i'm not enjoying a show when i'm struggling on that i will i will carry on doing my absolute professional best on the show because that's w- what i want to be i want to give my the show everything i've got but outside of that i will speak to my friends speak to my wife look at nfl videos like <laughs> things that i things that i care about outside of performing become yeah. all the more important Absolutely. at that point yeah, I think a sense of progression mm. is really the thing that you can, you know, attribute that to, isn't it? That your life continues and you continue to grow as a person yeah. so that you don't feel like you're back to square one and starting fresh each time. Yeah. That just feels like rubbish. Magnificent. No, that's that's brilliant, guys. I couldn't put it better myself. That's fantastic. Um, so I'm curious, who's your NFL team? Uh, the Giants. The Giants. Okay. I don't follow I love, NFL, but NFL. I'm just curious. I'm obsessed with NFL and really? NBA as well. I'm like, it's is that Super Bowl? It is Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch the Super Bowl, which is devastating. Oh no! Who's <laughs> in it this year? Who's the teams? Uh, it is. Oh, that's a good question. It's the Niners and the Eagles. Okay, no, not the Niners. Sorry. Oh, that's bad. The Chiefs Uh-oh. and the Eagles. The Chiefs and the Eagles. <laughs> the Niners lost. Um, <laughs> Don't put that clip in. Don't yeah. put that clip in. <laughs> <laughs> my, my Super Bowl pick, which is definitely going to be old and bad, is the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are going to win. <laughs> I trust Patrick Mahomes. He is the baby goat, after all. You did say he, that to me about two years he ago. He is yeah. the baby goat. He is going to win the Chiefs, the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's like another language to me. <laughs> yeah. NFL stuff. I don't get it at all. Um, so, yeah, that's great, guys. Thank, thank you for that. Um uh, the mental health thing there yeah, that was fantastic i really appreciate that um just um just change the narrative just slightly um you know you talked about um earlier bobby about your your foot and you had that unfortunate accident on stage and singing in the rain but chris what um what funny what other stories do you have on on stage that you know things have gone wrong or funny moments that you have <laughs> things that have gone how wrong long, how long have you got I've got uh, life goes wrong. As, as, as long as you want. <laughs> oh my god! Well, as far as injuries, every everything's happened. Everything injury wise, I've I've torn ACL, MCL. I got dropped from the ceiling. Uh, yeah. uh broken yeah. ribs by a platform. Like I've broken up most of my fingers, my hat, like elbow. Uh, like if you can think about it, it's it's happened. But if you're looking for funny stories. <laughs> 
funny stories. I've seen people falling off stage and not seriously injuring themselves, but people like falling. I was, where was I? I was in uh, Doncaster at the Donny Dome. And uh, one of my friends, I just saw him at the back of the stage and I was stood in the wing and it was sort of slow motion, like wheeling <laughs> off. <laughs> um, Here's one. Oh, God. Uh, we're in comedy about a bank robbery, right? Everything mm. in the show is so fast and so pacey. And obviously it, it's fast, so it has to be quick. Yeah. And anyway, there was a scene where I had been, <laughs> I'd been drugged. And so I was, I was meant to be passed out. And then mm-hmm. I would be, they would run into the office, like put me on this chair. And I, ha- also, I had no trousers on or socks at the time. So I was like just in pants. And they put me on this thing. And then this really, really small office would eventually, within three minutes or so, have about seven people trying to move around in it. That was part mm. of the comedy of this thing. And they were all pretending to be other people. The door would slam loads. Anyway, I get put into this chair. And the person putting me into the chair whispers in my ear and says, there's pins all over the floor. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I was like, What? <laughs> and I, I knew that I had to fall to that floor when oh, those no. came in. So I was like, oh God. And then they had to run out. So I was left in this room while a scene is being played out in front of me. And I looked down with my upstage eye going, there's about 300 drawing pins on this floor. What? A box of them had been put on the side and obviously been hit off as this thing came on. Yeah. In some way. And I was like, I need to move these pins. <laughs> How do I do this? And obviously I'm meant to be asleep. So they're like trying to use my foot subtly to, with, with no, <laughs> on my feet to move these pins across. I think I managed to get like two thirds of them out of the way. And obviously the audience, if they could see me, would be like, why is he moving his foot? <laughs> it's weird. And then like when they came in, I had to like not fall properly to the floor. But you know, with with shows like that, there's there's a hundred things that go wrong. Yeah, all the yeah. time. Stuff goes wrong constantly. And you know what? Sometimes the stuff that's the funniest is it's just it like to it, you say it and it's so you're like that's not funny. But in the moment, it's yeah. It's like one time I was doing. We were doing thoroughly modern Millie, and we did we did the um, we did a, like a dance break, and somebody came on. They'd gotten changed too early, and they came on in tap shoes in the middle of this dance break. So then <laughs> they were doing the dance break, and all you could hear was <laughs> they were doing it. I was like, "This is too much. This is too yeah. much. I can't." It is the stuff that you shouldn't laugh at, yeah. like in that island. Oh yeah, like a long period of time. But the one. The one that really, really, really got me and like broke me and I couldn't carry on the show was when I did Joseph the first time. Mm. And they had these these sheep that would blow up sheep at the back of this stage, right? And they set, and at a point they would blow up, be inflated, and they would look at each other. And (laughs) one of these sheep, just its ass blew up out of the floor and the rest of it just stayed deflated. And because it wasn't deflated, it kept like moving, like it was stuck in the ground, like right. ass out, trying to get out of the ground. The yeah. entire series number, that's not that funny. I can appreciate that. that that's, <laughs> I would love that. Like that's like mildly funny. But when you're yeah. trying to play this sheep like it's a real sheep, <laughs> giving all of your energy to going like, this is my sheep. <laughs> you just you just find yourself crying yeah. over stuff that realistically isn't that funny. Yeah, it wasn't. I just get this image like he got this inflatable sheep just twerking at the back of the stage. Exactly <laughs> what was happening before oh. twerking was a thing. <laughs> yeah, when you did. So if you did, did you corpse after that? Did you? Did you? Yeah. So when that happens, do you just? I think I've been in the audience for some things when the actors have corpsed, and 
the audience loves it. I think that they they really get behind it. Because that did the, the, the audience that night really take to it? Do they enjoy it? I think with with Joseph, it, it never ends, so there's never a yeah. to do that. I think yes, in general, as a rule for this, I think if the audience is in on the joke, yeah, then it's kind of fine. Yeah. Whereas if you're corpsing for any reason that they don't understand, yeah, it's not really fun anymore as an audience. Yeah. You're there watching it like, well, you're having fun. Like I went to watch a show relatively recently. Uh, it shall remain nameless, mm-hmm. and some of the people on the stage at one point, obviously there was something going on between them, and they were trying to make each other laugh. These are well-known people, and. They did, and they were unable to say some of their lines or sing their things. And the entire audience was just like, "Well, I don't, I can't get involved in this." So, I, I think I think it's fine if if they're involved in it in some way. Yeah. Mm. Either they're involved in it, or you have to hide it from them yes. impeccably. Yeah. Like if you're yeah. if you're not going to do something like that, they should never know. Yeah, bingo. Absolutely. Yeah, be better. Be, be better. Still <laughs> do it, but you just got to be better. <laughs> I, was a, I was in a show as, as a kid, and um, it was like a very serious scene. Mm. And the um, the the lead actor, who was a celebrity, uh, they uh, the them and and another actor were just absolutely in hysterics. They just broke down in hysterics, and I have no idea why. But like, mm. they couldn't get through the scene to the point that they had to stop the scene. Mm. Big big show, and they were like, "We're so sorry, we can't, we can't stop laughing. We're going to have to stop. Ooh. We have to stop." We just, I was stood there as a child, going, "What do I do? <laughs> what is this? What's, go- what's going on?" Definitely been there in that in that situation oh, where, yeah. you, where you go, I, "I'm I'm caught oh, yeah. like often. You know I mean? I'm not, I'm not coming from a place of judgment when I say no. that. Just as an no, audience, no, no, no. you know that's what your aim is, isn't it? To go like if if you crack on a note or you say the wrong line or, the, or you say a word funny and then someone else laughs, like as the audience, they're part of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like completely in, involved, like that's cool. Whereas, you know, the stuff that used to go on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, when you look in the wings and somebody's uh, doing something to make you laugh in the wing, for instance, <laughs> and then you can't continue. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. What's funny is when it's something that happens by accident or something just if you're planning it for it to be funny, it's never going to be as funny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I do have a story actually. I won't say the names of the people, but uh, they shall remain nameless. But we're at university. Our final, one of our final things we had to do was uh, a public show. And we, so we adapted this text called Bluette. It's written by someone called Maggie Nelson. And uh, we got the scene together. And then thankfully an audience wasn't in. This was the tech run. And, um, our course convener was in watching the show. He hadn't seen any of it up to that point. So basically we had these two tables on the other side of the stage and on stage, stage left. Yeah. Stage left. Uh, there was the, the guy sitting on that table had to ting a glass and then the following action would happen uh, from what I remember. But on this run, particular run, uh, he was in a bit of a rush. So he he's rushing around on this table. We're, we're in the show. We're, we're there showing our course convener what's happening. And then he goes to ting the glass. He's in a rush and he flicks his hand over, knocks the glass over, and it smashes into a million pieces on the across the stage. And uh, my first reaction was, oh, God, 
oh shit okay i was backstage oh god what 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 now what now and then the following action happened and we had a narrator person on stage and he started to say his lines and he, and he was like serial <laughs> colors and he just it was just couldn't it was just laughing throughout his lines and the worst thing was i had to go sit next to him on stage and he was just there just trying not to laugh which made me laugh and i was just like shut. i was like shut the fuck up yeah. really yeah. oh, was... desperately trying not to laugh is what will get me yeah the most. it's when you feel somebody shaking yeah. next to you you're yeah. like oh i'm done we had a bit like that in joseph didn't we there was a, a little bit for a period of time where one of us was Shaking, laughing. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what that was, but I, I don't know what you're talking about. But I can't remember. I can remember that. But yeah, but I don't remember I why. Remember, I remember the feeling, but I don't remember <laughs> why we were laughing. There's always something. There's always something there. <laughs> I'm just curious. Uh, just jumping back to your fitness stuff, guys. Uh, just a quick fire question for you. What's your favorite cheat meal? I've got a really boring answer for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're not gonna like it. What? Go ahead. Uh, I don't. I don't believe in a cheat meal in the sense that not going. Yeah. Oh, you shouldn't cheat on your, on your diet. But why do you not have permission to eat that stuff anyway? I'm like, mm. every single day I eat stuff that surprises people. I think, mm. and I, exactly the same for you. I'm like, literally, you know, last night I had Terry's chocolate orange and oh, yeah. you know, a couple of good mix <laughs> on our podcast. I'm literally like, <laughs> like it doesn't it's not a cheat it's part of my diet so sorry yeah. that's straight this is the no, thing no 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 it's good to know there's, there's no such thing as a healthy food only a healthy diet yeah mm-hmm. so we 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 never talk about cheat meals um in that sense but yeah we, yeah but i if we're talking about what food i love yeah uh, let, me tell you, let me tell you all the foods i love <laughs> go ahead <laughs> i just love burgers like oh. For real, burgers are my favorite food. And mm. I, uh, for me, I really, really, really love Indian food. Yeah. So mm. like, without a doubt, I could sit and when I go to an Indian, I want to order three curries, rice, naan, and a, and a side dish of some kind as well. Have them on in front of me, eat what I want and, and go nuts. Like, I just love the flavor. Mm. Uh, so, Maybe that's sort of in the realm of what you're describing, but mm. in general, if you you know twenty percent of what I'm eating in a day is probably sub suboptimal, then mm. I'm pretty happy with that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good to know actually, because I think there's a lot of like misconceptions about fitness and food and about how like if you eat one bad thing, you know you've ruined your goals or you've ruined everything that you've done in the gym like a few hours beforehand. But no, but it's good to hear that you know there are a lot of myths around it and he's just and you've you've very very clearly debunked them uh for, for everyone who's listening so that's good to know can we, uh, can we throw in a shameless promo go ahead go ahead <laughs> in in two weeks two weeks time three weeks time can't remember in in a couple of weeks in, yeah, a, in couple a period of, weeks. of time we've yes. got an ebook resource coming out called eat to perform okay this feels like i'm selling it to people i don't like this um <laughs> called eat to perform uh which is for performers uh and it's literally doing exactly what you've just mentioned so debunking a whole bunch of myths and giving them a, a usable guidebook a toolkit mm. like you described earlier on uh to know and understand their for their own body how they should eat and uh when how much 
and I want to supplement it with everything that you'd need to know to create a diet for yourself that you're happy with and that fuels you well. What he said. Simple as that. Yeah, so in, uh, depending on when you actually release this, Oliver, it's probably in available two to three weeks time. If you head over to the Instagram, then you can click that link in the bio and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, grab that, grab that lovely, lovely ebook. Fantastic. And um, so this, uh, I'm going to ask this question anyway. This is a really dumb question for me. Uh, where would they be able to to, act, to access it? So would you be able to, so that there'll be a link on your on your Instagram page and then it will take you to the website and you'll be able to to download it from there? Yeah, pretty, pretty exactly, much. Exactly that, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so um, very obvious there. That's, also, obvious that's not, a, not a dumb question at all. They're never a dumb question. Obviously, I did not say that well. Yeah, there'll be a link. <laughs> Or you could go straight to the website, which is fit-2.co.uk. Obviously, find us on Instagram at fit2 underscore four. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Fit2 underscore That is correct. Cool. Yeah. In the description, I'll say look out for the ebook coming in two to three weeks' time. So that, that'd be good. Um, so I, I'm just actually, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, in that ebook, do you think you'll have uh, there's that stigma meal of, chicken rice and greens for any diet does that get the thumbs up or the thumbs down in your estimations i mean i mean again without going into like for some people that would be good i've certainly never eaten dry chicken dry rice and broccoli uh, so i'm certainly not recommending that to other people like realistically what we give you is the tools to work with your current diet mm -hmm. and you know, step by step, turn that into something that is slightly more optimal for you. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, again, I think it's just like, it, it's the idea of getting rid of some certain like buzzwords, like clean eating, mm. cheat meals, things like that. These things yeah. need to get in the bin. Um, <laughs> get in the bin. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, I think you've kind of said everything that needs to be said about it really, Stefan, but like, um, the idea, the idea that you can eat clean is a, a crazy idea to me. And it's also not a sustainable way. Yeah. A lot of what we speak about in the podcast and what we speak about in the eat to perform ebook and kind of our mantra in general is about creating a sustainable diet and a sustainable mm -hmm. way of exercising yeah. and looking after yourself yeah. because it shouldn't be a short term thing. This is our, this is our lives. It's our, it's our, it's our careers. It's our everything so um mm. we want to create the kind of most sustainable ethically viable yeah i think there's something right. about performers right that we in performance we tend to strive for we strive for perfect mm. Right? Mm. knowing that it's not attainable yeah but realistically mm. most performers know that they will never have a perfect performance but you're still striving towards it what else can what else can i do to get there and with your diet I think accepting that it will never be perfect mm -hmm. is essential. You're not yeah. aiming for perfect. No. You're aiming for healthy. Mm. And healthy doesn't mean perfect. Like yeah. it, it doesn't. Healthy doesn't mean chicken, rice, and broccoli five times a week. Like it just it just doesn't. It, mm. Because you're miserable. And there's a yeah. great joy in food. Yeah. And you should have yeah. that joy. Like have that joy in your life. What yeah. a your life to remove mm. the joy from food. No, yeah. thank you exactly no this is yeah no this is this is great guys it's great to, um you know it speaks a lot to the your your versatility guys you know you'll be able to give acting advice as well as fitness as well and you know this has been 
a really, really great thing to hear from both of you. So thanks for that. Um, just got two more questions for you today, uh, if if that's all right. Uh, so let me just have a look. I can't read my own writing from here. Hang on, just bear with me. Uh, I do actors. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. So, um, so second to last question, really. Um, obviously, you're still actively working in the industry. You know, you're doing your fitness and everything. So you've still got a lot more to look forward to. Um, but in terms of everything up to this current moment in in the acting industry um what do you think the jobs that you've done the experiences that you've had you know for for better or for worse what do you think it's given you so far and what do you think it has taken away i think for me for what it's given me is people like the people that i've met along the way have been so influential in my life and are such a big part of my life like I think the people is the most important part because yes, it's wonderful what we do on stage, but actually you get to spend that time on stage with other people. And it's, it's those interactions. It's those friendships that you make along the way that that really kind of are the beautiful part of our career. Like I I can't imagine my life now without Stefan, without other, other friends of mine. I did. And I met my wife as well doing the, doing the show. So I think just, yeah, the the people is what is what makes it special, and um, it's the that's the one thing that I will always love about this career. Yeah, uh, same. I met Maddie because of a show I was in. Like, I'm with you with the people. I think with the stuff that it takes away, uh, you know, stability, money. Uh, realistically, any idea of a conventional time frame to your life, you know, you're probably going to need to dedicate. 10 15 20 years to this and and everything all in before you do things like have a family mm-hmm. uh i wish that wasn't the case but you know realistically if you're 24 and you graduated at 21 and you go oh i actually want to have a kid now it's probably going to negatively affect your career male or female in, in some way that's really sad but you know it's look the truth it's the truth and, yeah. yeah and you know you start thinking about that when you're 30 35 but rather yeah. than 23 for for what appears to be dare i say most people but a more conventional yeah. um, aspect so yeah you know if you want a stable income and a and a nice lovely family life really really early on mm. probably not going to go that way it's not impossible but certainly most i would suggest amazing and just to finish guys um what's been an experience or experiences that you've had in your career up to this day that you're never ever gonna forget oh if i say i can't remember any is it yeah <laughs> that's okay <laughs> if you can't think um, of anything. uh well like shows i'll never forget is uh peter pan and bromley churchill all yep. like 15, 16 years ago when I met Sam, my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I met some of my best friends on that show as well. That was just, that's a truly special show for me. Absolutely. Also, um, like, I had a moment when we were doing Joseph together and I was stood at the front doing Canaan Days and I was like, this is madness. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, this is a moment I was like, wow, this this is truly ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that, was a, that was an amazing moment for me. Um, Another moment recently that I can't talk about. <laughs> but, but yes. Um, and with you, actually, uh, I, 
Uh, I didn't really think about stuff when I was performing until until comedy about a bank robbery. And I've said this before to you, I was stood on the stage at the end of the show and we were at the Criterion in the West End. It was the first play I'd done in the West End and my parents were there and it was the the curtain call. And I, I'd just sort of done the show and not really thought about it. And they were there like clapping and everybody was on their feet. And I, it literally hit me like a hammer blow being like, I've just played the lead in a play in the West End that's on for a year and my parents are watching. And I was like, oh, like 18 year old me would be weeping with joy, you know? Mm. And, and I, 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 that did sort of uh, overtake me. And actually, yeah, you're right. I had a similar moment in Joseph. Mm. You know, you're at the Palladium, which is the, the theater really, you know, it's one of the most well-known across the world. So maybe the globe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And you're there with whatever it is, 2,000, 3,000 people, mm. I don't know how many it is, watching you finish a number that you've just sang and they go nuts and it's full and you're like, oh, mm. I'm doing this. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I think Joseph was particularly special because it was post-COVID. It was... That's it was the first the first time we'd all been back on stage. You've just remind yeah that that that, that moment the first night that we did opened. that show and we got to the end that was unbelievable. I've I, I've actually I think that is the moment I've never known a feeling like that. The first time we stepped like the first time we it was unbelievable. Got to the end. I can't remember if it was Lindsay or or who was playing the narrator that night, but at the start of that show. The, the show opens and obviously we theatres were just allowed to reopen. We were one of the very first, the first time people had been in a room again. Mm. And at the start of the show, there's a little chord and then a spotlight comes up on the narrator who's ready to to sing when when they're ready. And the, the chord played and the, the spotlight came up and the audience just applauded. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were all in the wings watching this because it felt like a monumental moment. And I cried. Mm. I, I was... It was overwhelmingly emotional because it felt important mm. that mm. we had this outlet to be in a room together to celebrate and tell stories with one another in one place. And yeah, that whole show, it was just this bizarre, wonderful experience. And yet at the end, just madness. It was like, we've we've managed it. Yeah, we, we got we, to the end. We got yeah. here. You know, um, yeah, yeah, that's maybe a, the most mm. striking moment. Yeah. I've not thought about that in a while. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the goosebumps must have been like a full flow, right? You just stand there like, wow, this is amazing. But yeah, yeah fantastic. Beautiful. And then within four minutes, you realize you've got a hell of a two hour ride ahead of you to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> two hours of sprinting. Yeah, you're literally yeah. running. For two hours, but it was rough. It's a, you walk up here, yeah, just that moment of, oh, great. Oh, no. <laughs> here, we, here we go again. Uh, but that On that note, that is, I think that's a perfect point to finish. So, guys, thank you for today. I've absolutely loved it. This has been so, a lot of fun and a very, very informative as well. Like I said earlier, like you've debunked a lot of fitness stuff, I think. And it's important for that because people want to improve their lives when they go to the gym and also have that enjoyment as well and not feel like they're in this cage of like you must eat only really really healthy stuff or anything but no you guys have come on and said no enjoy yourself in the meantime just have a healthy diet and 
just enjoy it at the same time. And on as well, just some, some of those stories, I, I'll I just fits of laughter here. Just absolutely loved it hearing the stories and your inspirations to get to where you are, and and of course your podcast as well. And that that's going from strength to strength. And you know, I look forward to tuning in with more episodes about fitness as well as acting stuff. So keep up the already fantastic work guys. And, you know, just having you on here has been a real honor and just thank you both for your time. And, and yeah, so thank you for that. So guys, this has been the Uncensored Critic podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will be back very soon. So if you guys just hang on, I'll end the recording. I'll say goodbye to you one-to-one. But once again, guys, Stefan, Bobby, Fit Fit to Talk podcast. Thank you.